Hello, I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Indeed, yeah. And this week we're going to talk about Jaws from 1975, a movie surpassed only by Jaws 3D, which came much later. (laughs) What about Sharknado? I feel it's never given enough credit. Yeah, Sharknado, my gosh. Uh, have you have you seen Sharknado? No, I, I, no, no. I saw some clips and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So, yeah. <laughs> well, after Jaws, it's hard to top it, you know. Where oh. do you go from there? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I picked this movie and, and what was in my head when I picked it was um, summer blockbusters. Here we are, it's June as we record this. Okay. And opening into uh, the summer season, you know, the first summer season after COVID. And I, mm. I think the blockbuster that's out there right now is Top Gun 2. Um, so you're telling me that the beaches were closed, but now they're open they are and the not- ferries are bringing all the people in again? Is that what <laughs> yeah. you're telling me? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with these beaches. <laughs> you picked the perfect movie then. <laughs> Everything's fine. Nobody doesn't. Nobody needs anything. At- we're over it, man. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's <laughs> I would not too have funny. thought of that, but that's perfect. That is hilarious. You bet. <laughs> Yeah, and this was like the first summer blockbuster. Um, yeah. but we'll we'll talk some about that. Um, but yeah, so what did you think of this viewing this, you know, I assume that you had seen it before, like most people have. It was very shady in my mind because mm-hmm. I was thinking back to the timing and this was 1976. Mm-hmm. which I am going to tell you, watching this when the beach is filling up, I was just suffering from a blast from the past because <laughs> I would have been just finished with my first year of college. So this was my spot. I didn't really love the spot. I mean, I was looking at it going, oh, yeah, the hair and the fashion is just awful. <laughs> but um, I didn't watch it. I don't really care. I figured out watching this again, I do not really care for man versus nature movies mm, okay. or stories. Jack London is not my jam and all that. And so I like monster movies. But this monster was nature. And so, um, yeah, so then when it came around again to the theaters, I guess maybe Jaws 2 was coming out, and so they ran it through again. Neither my sister nor my brother had seen it either. So we all went to the movies and watched <laughs> it and then went, eh, it was all right. And I think because we knew of some of the the spoilers, and this time watching it, I loved the first half, and then when they were on the water, it kind of dragged for me, believe oh, it or wow. not. And I was like, oh, I, I love sitting here going, yeah. I feel like the the most shallow person on Earth, because I know that's <laughs> the part with the humanity. And I was like, oh my gosh, sitting around telling these stories. Ugh. So, um, you know, Robert Shaw and his angst and all this stuff. So, um, yeah, it's... Out of five, I give it three stars. Okay. Which is pretty good since I would never go see this movie otherwise. So I loved watching Steven Spielberg's action, uh, the way he put this movie together, which we can talk about later. I really appreciated um, Roy Scheider's role much more. I love Roy Scheider. Well, yes. All all this jazz is just like one of my favorite (laughs) movies. 
even though I think it's sadly dated. But anyway, we won't talk about that. But anyway, um, and the, but the character, the way the character is threaded through and some of the stuff they're telling you, I could really appreciate more this time. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, and How about I, I did. Yeah, so no, I, I love this movie. I own this movie. I, oh. I like it so oh, much. Yeah, this gosh. is this, this is in the, pool the room? this is in the pool room. Yeah, <laughs> um, the, yeah. There's just something about it, and you know, it just feels, you know, as far as characters and stuff go, there's just a. It just feels true to me. Um, you yeah. know, when I when I watch it, I feel like yeah, this happened. You know what I mean? It just the, oh, the characters yes. are just very good, and I, I like the actors, and yeah, I like the message of it too. I, I don't know, it, it just resonates with me. Um, you know, you say What's the monster the was nature. Well, to me, you know, when I when I watch this thing, there's this denial of truth, or or putting something ahead of what the truth is. Um, yes. which is like what the mayor is, you know, and, and, and as, as a Catholic, you know, going through this, you know, it's like, <laughs> I, I feel like some of the bishops who mismanaged some of this, uh, you know, the sexual scandal thing, yes. um, they are the mayor, <laughs> yes. you know what I mean? And it's, and it's, you know, so, so when I hear people in the, in the church say, well, we don't want, we don't want to talk about scandal or we don't want, you know, because we don't want to affect the faith of other people, um, that that doesn't ring right to me um, when you're talking about something like this that could hurt other people. So, right. um, so yeah. So when I see that, I mean, it's just so. That's what I mean by it's ringing true. I mean, I know these people. I know the mayor. I know Scheider. Mm-hmm. I know the guy in the boat. You know, and I know the the marine biologist. They're just these types of people that are very familiar with me. And then um, the idea of the monster movie. Um, I, I didn't really do the connection with nature thing, you know, to me, you know, it is, it is a monster. And mm-hmm. I just, um, again, you know, what, what Chesterton says about that, I think is, is good. You know, the, the paraphrase of it is, you know, these kinds of stories are good because they show you that these things can be beaten. Presenting you with things that are, are scary is good to see. Because you see that people get through that. And I think that um, that's generally a horror thing for me. You know what I mean? Well, and I think also the thing you're talking about, to me, the man versus nature, I also think of it as a monster movie. But this is a real monster. Mm -hmm. I mean, sharks are real. Yes. And and things happen. And Mm -hmm. I think Peter Benchley, whose book it was, based this on, you know, problems that were had in a few areas where there was a continual shark attack and people were having to deal with it somehow. Mm -hmm. And so um, the thing that I think is also good about it is sometimes it can't be beaten. I mean, the movie is showing us the ideal, of course, but also what people need to remember is nature doesn't care about us. It's mm-hmm. kind of like in the movie Up where the little, oh, I can't remember what they call it, but it's basically Boy Scouts. The little Boy Scouts out in nature mm-hmm. with the old man. And he goes, you know, nature's not like they taught us. It's not all friendly. It's, it's, it's a lot scarier than that. <laughs> yeah. And that is another value of it in just in terms of going, no, you guys were right to be at the beach, but not in the water. Yeah. You know, again, this is denying what's true. And it makes me think of that book, um, what was it called, Wild, by Cheryl Strayed or Strayed? Anyway, and she decides she's going to go on this solo hike 
that just practically killed her. And I haven't read the book. And so I could be wrong. I realize this is dangerous. But my impression is that she thought it would be just like, oh, there'll be some hard things. And then she got stuck with all this other stuff. Hmm. Or the guy who had to cut his hand off because he was out hiking by himself and he got caught. And that was made into a movie, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, But it's that thing of going, we don't know what we're dealing with. And we just trawl our way into it. And then when somebody warns us, we don't listen. So we've skipped way past the movie summary, um, (laughs) which I think everybody knows is there's a new sheriff in a small town, Mm -hmm. Amity. Brody. Yep, Amity. Yeah, his Brody. Thank you. I always forget his name. You bet. Played by Roy Scheider. That's the Roy Scheider character, yeah. amazingly by Roy Scheider. (laughs) And um, it's a tourist town, and there's a beach attack one night. It opens with this amazing scene of, you know, a boy and a girl are going to go skinny dipping, and the guy passes out on the beach, and the girl's out there already, and you just hear her kind of get you just see her kind of get pulled below the water and pulled up, and then she starts screaming that the guy's passed out. And later, there's just an arm on the beach, mm. and um, er, the this expert says it's a shark attack, but the mayor's like, "Oh, I don't think it was." And the doctor folds faster than Superman on laundry day. <laughs> no, it could have been anything—a boating accident. <laughs> And uh, the sheriff's like, but what? And he gives in too easily. Yeah, yeah. And pretty soon, you got this shark that's just eating kids right and left, or other people right and left, until everybody finally says, okay, tourists aren't more important than people. And Mm. uh, they take a salty old sailor who's caught zillions of sharks, and a young, enthusiastic, rich... um, Shark Expert. <laughs> it's the only movie I've ever liked Richard Dreyfus in. Oh, interesting. I just loved yeah. him in this, and I hate mm-hmm. him usually. Hmm. Um, but Spielberg toned him down enough or something. <laughs> well, and, we're right um, after this. You know, he's building mounds of potatoes in uh, Close Encounters. Do, well, first I'd have to like Close Encounters, but that's another story. <laughs> Does America love it? I probably hate it. Um, <laughs> Uh, too fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so then um, uh, the three of them go out on the boat because they're going to catch this great white shark, and it turns out this shark. I was like, I remember texting you partway through the movie mm-hmm. when the shark is yeah. trying to pound a hole in the boat, and I was like, this is one That's pissed an off shark. shark yeah. <laughs> and it is one freaking crazy captain. I'm uh-huh. just saying. So oh. I guess you've got, you know, Moby Dick, which I haven't read or seen. Mm-hmm. But since I'm throwing comparisons around wildly with no knowledge of them, let's do yeah. that too. <laughs> um <laughs> Oh, heck yeah. But but through it all, um, what you see is the story from Chief or Sheriff Brody's point of view. And he's the guy who, very interestingly, has run away from the big city, New York, where he was a policeman and where crime is rampant. And I mean, in the 70s, New York was like nightmare town. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The trash wasn't getting picked up. Crime was rampant. Um, it was just awful. So when he said he left it to come here, you knew it was bad. And then he finds out, yeah, guess what? There's bad stuff everywhere. It's just mm. different. So anyway, um, that's the quick summary. Yep. And that's about all there is to I mean, you know, there's tons of great details, but that's the basics. Yeah, it really is the basics. Yeah. And that, that's, you know, the, the crux of it there is that they're... They all end up on a boat out trying to hunt this shark. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. When they wind up, um, 
at, at one point, you know, the boat's leaking because the shark has been pounding on it in the same spot because it's the smartest shark in the world. <laughs> and um, the engine's messed up, so there's black smoke everywhere. They have no radio anymore because the crazy captain <laughs> broke it because he is going to beat this shark himself. Yeah. And you're just like, I think I remember somebody lived. I think it. I thought that two people lived. <laughs> and then Richard Dreyfus's shark cage, which we all knew was going to not work. Um, yeah. You know, he's he's had to run away from the shark. And I'm like, oh, I thought that he lived. Oh, crap. Mm-hmm. What's going on here? And I mean, there were some moments of real anxiety, whether you knew something or not. Yeah, yeah. It, the suspense was there through the whole movie. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the director. I mean, I, I think that oh, he just did just a wonderful job with it. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I even read the book a long, long time ago, but I don't remember loving the book. Um, but it, it, I, I and I can't even remember details. But it was a fairly thick book, like four or five hundred pages of. <laughs> chasing the shark around, you know? So it was a Moby Dick kind of thing. Yeah, kind of, kind of. And, and, (laughs) um, yeah, the, the, the reasons why Quint is, um, like Ahab, I thought that was really interesting. And I actually looked into that story, but the, you know, Yeah. yeah. So he was on the USS Indianapolis and which got torpedoed and sank in a huge hurry. So, and if it, it sank so quickly that there wasn't even time for a distress call or anything. And well, um, also, were may, or was the movie wrong on this? Where they were on kind of a secret mission, so the distress call didn't even yeah. get sent out for well it, a week it, or something. Yeah, it, no, it, or is it, that it, made it, up? It, it didn't. No, it's not made up. Or the the thing is, they they had delivered the bombs to somewhere, um, and then they were on their way back, and then they just got hit. Uh, with two torpedoes, and they said the ship sank within twelve minutes, and there oh was ele- there was eleven hundred people on the ship, oh, and um, so so a certain number of of them survived, but there was no distress call given, and it wasn't because they weren't allowed to. It was just oh, okay. uh, it was it was done. The it was, timing, right? So. You had hundreds of men in the water, and they were being attacked by sharks the whole time while they were um, just basically floating, trying to survive, you know, in, until long enough where somebody says, hey, have you heard from the USS Indianapolis for a while? You know, until uh, someone thought to even come see what was going on. And then, um, you know, they did, and, and some people survived. There was, I don't know how many, but... Um, some of them well, survived. Well, if we believe uh, the crazy captain, whose name mm-hmm. I can't remember. Quint. Quint. How could I forget that? Yeah. I should remember it. Well, <laughs> in fact, my wife yesterday was wearing a T-shirt that said, Quint's Fishing. <laughs> we, uh, there, there's a great, there's a super great place. It's called Last Exit to Nowhere. They okay. have the best T-shirts ever. And, oh, uh, are I, you going to put that link in the show sure notes? Sure, I will. You bet. <laughs> I need to know they about have, this they place. They have terrific. They're, they're movie t-shirts, but they're movie t-shirts that you only get if you're like a movie geek. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a deep cut, <laughs> right? So, like in thing. like an Alien, it'll have the, the t-shirt is for the Nostromo, you know, uh, <laughs> which is the yeah. ship that she was on, you know. So, um, okay. terrific, terrific t-shirts. Anyway, okay, Quince I love fishing. it. Yeah. 
Oh, man, this whole podcast was worth it just <laughs> to get this tip. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, so I loved that story. And it was a true story, you know. Um, and then uh, that's why Quint is a little off. Yeah, he's one of the 300 survivors <laughs> after yeah. a week in the water. And somehow, somehow he's projected that entire event on this one shark. And it's like this is the ultimate revenge for him. Well, what's well? Of course, you could see from going to his shop and all the little jaws hanging around. He's been killing sharks without uh, thinking about it the whole time. He's been working on it, but it's he just finally snaps when this great big one mm. is going to beat him. Yep, yep. You know, right? Um, yeah. And, and Brody, yeah, Brody's an interesting character too, because, um, like you said, he got talked into the wrong thing. And and I think that that's that's another thing that resonates with me, mm-hmm. you know, because he's like, yeah, we're, we're people are getting eaten by these sharks, you know, or by a shark or whatever, and he can be convinced that everything's okay, you know, um, yeah, surely it's okay. We need to open the beach. We need to do this, and um, but it's tugging on his conscience. He knows that it's wrong, um, but he's hoping that it'll be okay, you know, and. Um, uh, that that scene where that woman walks up to him and slaps him. Oh. I mean, that was a nice, powerful scene. And it, again, you know, it resonates with me as a real good character moment where um, I think that we get in that situation. At least I have been. You know, we're nothing like a shark and people dying, but still, Dead. we're called to do the right thing. And sometimes that's hard, and sometimes it's against the will of uh, people who are putting the wrong thing at the top of the mountain. Um, So it's like, um, yeah, you have to be strong. Yeah, because the mayor right after that, she walks away. And the mayor right after that says, um, oh, that wasn't fair. You didn't deserve that. And he goes, yeah, I did. Yeah. I I did. Yeah. And it was really quietly delivered because he knows it. And what that made me think of is the prophets. Mm-hmm. Nice. Some yeah. of the prophets come mm. out just strong, but some of them are like Jeremiah going, oh, no, I'm too young. I'm, you know, they have to build up to it. Mm-hmm. And he is the voice of truth. He's the one saying, this was a shark attack. We have to close the beach. And then they're like, well, you have to have all these people sign this thing. The city council has to agree. And so he backs down. Yeah. And then, yeah. uh, well, we'll take these measures, these halfway measures of having people patrol. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and then his own child is threatened because it's like when they said, oh, take this to the pond. I thought it was a real pond. Mm, you know, instead mm. of, you're not going to get in the water. <laughs> you're going to go in the pond. And then they look and it's like, it's open to the sea. And I'm like, that's not a pond, people. That's an inlet or something. Yes, I mean, I don't yeah. know what it's called, but come on. You let your kid go in there oh, thinking man. it's not deep enough for this shark? Mm. Oh, yeah, and um, and that's what it takes, of course, for the mayor because it, it's a beautiful setup. I, it's funny to you know you've got the shark, the shark is doing what he does, and they go and he's a rogue and he does this, and I'm like, but the shark is just being a shark, really. Right, right. Um, the mayor is a secondary villain. The mayor is the human villain because the mayor is putting as you so cleverly pointed out you know yeah he's the human being who 
everyone's trusting and he has the power to make the decisions and he is looking at the wrong thing. And it takes until that third attack, I think it's a third attack, when he he's forced his old friends back into the water. He's not going in the water. He's sending his sacrificial lamb of the old guy and his wife and they've got their grandchild on the float. Yeah. And they go in the water. And then suddenly, boy, are we sheep? Was Jesus right? Everyone's going in the water. And you just look at that and go, yeah, that's how it works. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Everybody goes, just, oh, they're in the water. It felt we'll real to me. It felt right. You know, th- yeah. th- there wasn't there wasn't any false moments, you know. Right. But he won't go himself. No. Mm-mm. He sends those people in. On the beach in, in a the full hosp- suit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got to be official. Right. Well, that's true. He was not dressed for it, but still. Mm-hmm. Um, but he then, later in the hospital, is also kind of in shock, and he's kind of muttering over and over his reasoning to himself. And the sheriff's like, look, man, it's real. You have to sign this paper and get me the money to get hire Quint and get out there and get that thing. And he just keeps saying it over and over, and the sheriff's like, get with the program. And he says, my kids were on that beach, too. Yeah, yeah. And so you can see he's already struggling with the guilt of the danger he put his own children in. That little boy that died could have been, or the man, I guess it was a man who died in that Mm, one. Yeah. um, Who was trying to help the kids. Um, That could have been his kids. For sure. So what it takes, and how true is this of human nature? In general, mm-hmm. we look at the church who is full of human beings, but look at all the other things we see. Right now, we've got all our legislatures arguing over the best thing to do to protect people from mass shootings. This way's better, that way's better. And I'm looking at it from the outside going, do all of it. Mm-hmm. Do everything. Do both people's side. Quit arguing about this or that. Do everything. Yeah, right. Get them off the beach and get in the water and get the shark. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree. And then we, we do have those that are saying, hey, the water's fine. There's really nothing to be concerned about. Right. And you're like, yeah. what? You know? Yeah. And uh, yeah. And they're uh, focused on the wrong thing. But yeah, it's something that human beings fall into constantly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm reading the... Uh, uh, second Kings in, in uh, Bible oh. study. <laughs> and it's just like king after king, you know, this king was good and this king was bad and this king was good and this is a new bad, two bad ones in a row, you know, where, and they keep doing the same thing, you know, where it's like, you know, one of them will destroy the, the ball stuff, you know, um, and then the next one will bring it back, you know, it, cause it's been 20 years since uh, their ancestor, worshipped you know ball instead of god and um you know it's just crazy um but it's true it's just what we do um it's disappointing as heck you know but um well yeah that's what and we when do. you read chronicles really mm-hmm. from judges through i guess then as kings since chronicles by the time you're done reading those five books mm-hmm you have a real clear picture of how history, what is it? History doesn't repeat itself, but it yeah, rhymes. It rhymes, yeah. Yeah, and the is oh gosh, the Israelite kings are continually, it's more like you have one good king, and wow, there was it was nice for a while. And then you have like seven bad kings, mm. each one worse than the one before, but just in a slightly different way. Yeah, yeah. And um, it makes me think 
of um, this is from Judges. It's I've actually even memorized the verse number because I've said it so many times lately. It's Judges twenty one twenty five, and it's something like there was no king in the land, and each man did what seemed good to him. Mm. So with all these bad kings, there is a king, but all the people are still doing what seems good to them. Yeah, yeah. In in the Bible, you know, mm-hmm. and but here there's you know the mayor is the king essentially. And he's he's focused on the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so then you know when Brody snaps out of it and um, is like, okay, you know, I don't care what you're saying now, I am gonna handle this, you know, because now he feels immense responsibility, and um, I loved that about that character too. And then now he's like, okay, we're gonna do this, and he's stepping into the unknown, right? He is the yeah. one of these three people who knows nothing about what they're going to do, right? In fact, I don't he hates know. The water. I, I'm not a fan of the water, but I'm doing it. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. It's that yeah. test of character when you come up against something completely unexpected that at least seems bigger than you are. This is your test. Right. How right. do you act? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's he, why it takes him a while to face up to it, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And then he's got, you know, the two people he's with are just super interesting. Again, we talked about Quint, but Quint is, you know, bent on revenge. He's 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 mental. I mean, he's he's just like a, a laser focus on one thing. Um, <laughs> scary yeah. guy to be around, you know. I've yeah. met I've met people like that that are obsessed with this one thing or another that you're like, yes. this is uncomfortable. You know, and then um, you have um, Hooper. Hooper is Richard Dreyfuss's character, who um, is odd in in different way, right? You know, he he's mm-hmm. not, he's an odd guy who um, just loves. He, he's a marine biologist. I mean, he spent his whole life studying this stuff, and um, well, he's fairly young, I think. Yeah, so I think so too. Yeah, he's just getting going. I mean, he he knows a lot, and he's been on on expeditions and things, but he's getting ready to go on his first really big one when he comes to check this out. Right. And there was a scene, you know, it was after, uh, they, they've encountered the shark, but this scene where Quint told that USS Indianapolis story, they were comparing scars. It was Quint and I loved that bit. Yeah. And, um, Brody is standing there, you know, just, incredulous you know just like holy crap you know so both these guys you know quint and hooper um are similar when you get right down to it right so he's he's like with well, with two odd folks but it, you know, i was watching it thinking this is this is a guy thing yeah it was this is yeah. how you bond yeah you show oh i have this scar well i have this scar oh well i have this scar <laughs> i have this scar these are the things i've done Here's who I am. I came back from it. I'm not afraid to show the scars. And did you notice that Roy Scheider or Brody over in the corner is watching him like, oh my gosh. But a couple times he pulls his shirt up and looks, kind of fingers his stomach. Huh. Interesting. I thought, mm-hmm. does he have a scar there that he doesn't want to talk about? Or Maybe so. What's hmm. going on with that? So, yeah, that's interesting. Yep, I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and but I just was watching going, this is so typical. They're yeah. drinking, they're comparing scars, it's a real guy. I think what women do, they tell childbirth stories. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, and if you're a young woman and you haven't had a baby and you're standing around a bunch of these people, 
you're just supremely uncomfortable. But the ladies are just throwing out worse after worse story at each other. I just thought. <laughs> so the men have their, you know, adventure stuff and the ladies have their childbirth stuff. <laughs> this is who makes me who I am. Yeah. This is yeah. what I went through. Interesting. Yeah. 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 But I do, I do see that, you know, as a guy thing for sure. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But I right. loved it. Yeah. Very because good. they are so different because Hooper has different knowledge but kind of equal uh-huh. to um, Quint. It's just his is mostly intellectual. Yes. His is not mm-hmm. practical. Mm-hmm. Quint doesn't have the other stuff to back it up, the experiments yeah. or the, all the measurements. He just knows what he knows. So you have those two things coming together, and those people are so different. Yeah. You know, because yeah, you got both, the rich. Yeah, they both throw themselves into danger. Right. You know? But the, you have do have the point early on when – He's uh, when he's going, you don't have a shark, you got a tuna or something, cut it loose. And then Quint's like, I know I don't. And he's up there steering the boat like he's told, muttering sarcastic things to himself. Mm, yeah. And so, this is you know how far apart they are. It's the going through the adventure and the experience together that starts to turn them into a team. They're never going to love each other, but they will work together with a common goal. And in fact, so yeah. much so. That when they're stymied and the boat's messed up and the only thing they can do is, well, well, let's try the cage idea. Hmm. Quint still thinks it's stupid, but it's all they've got. And they know it's a desperation move. Yeah. So he's willing to, let's do this. And this is one of the things where the uh, it's, Spielberg never shows you something he doesn't use later. I do want to say this, that the the artistry and how he put that together. You see that cage going on there and everybody laughing at it. Mm. You know, it's going to be used later. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it probably won't be any good, but at the same time in that sequence, he shows you something else that's happened before. Hooper's a huge butterfingers, by the way, Mm -hmm. you scare him and he drops stuff. So early on, they found that boat that had been, Messed up, he goes down, he's found the shark tooth in the holes. You already know <laughs> the shark is good at pounding holes, yeah. which you're shown mm-hmm. in, on their boat. And then <clears throat> he's got this tooth, and the huge scare of the movie comes up, the big scare of the movie comes up with that dead body, yeah, and he drops yeah. the tooth. Yeah. Well, of course, here's the important thing here. He needs to do is stab that shark with the poison. He drops it. Because yeah. for one thing, he's standing around. This is the idiot. He's standing around with his arm outside the cage, holding that thing. Very relaxed, like, well. And I'm like, get your arm in, man. That thing could take your arm off in two seconds. You will never see it. Yeah. It didn't happen that way, but I was just ready for it. (laughs) But so here you have all these things are pulled together. His inexperience and his lack of real knowing how to do stuff from the way he was standing there, not tense, holding onto it tight. The fact that he'll drop things, the fact that he's just unprepared for reality. It was interesting. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But those are the things that all got brought together, but at one moment. Mm-hmm. They're all planted in different spots, but this, it was just so well done from yeah, a story point Yeah, it just feels like, yeah, it just kind of clicked right together. Um, yeah. You know, just one thing after another. And, um, yeah, I, I thought that the whole the whole sequence on the water was to me. I, I really enjoyed that. It was 
um, very suspenseful. Um, I, I remember how scary it was back when I watched it, you know, and I'm not sure that it's because I just knew the story or if, you know, if I had watched this fresh, if this was my first time seeing it, mm-hmm. I wonder if I would have found it scary in, in 2022, having watched other horror movies that come out now. That are so that far have beyond on this. Some of the tropes. Yeah, yeah, because we, we do see a lot of the things that Spielberg did. I think in this movie, were um, was it the first time you know that it's been used that way? You know, I, I know that it's kind of a famous uh, thing about this movie that he um, wanted not to show the shark for a long time, and I think that's possibly because. He wanted it, it didn't look real enough. Like if he had one that looked super real and it was made today, would no. that mean that would we have seen the shark earlier and often? Um, okay, I can like, tell you about yeah, that. Please go ahead. Yeah, because if you had CGI, I think you would have seen it a lot more. Because right. here's the thing: mm-hmm. they had three mechanical sharks, and none of them worked right. Mm. So he had storyboarded it with, um, like, was it? at least a third more shark shots. But because they could never get them to work right, um, such things as they were made for fresh water. Well, they were in salt water. (laughs) So they started rusting and breaking and everything. The the hydraulics didn't work right. So he was continually frustrated, but he had to start shooting. So that's when they did things like just show a bit of a fin and have the girl pulled down. Mm. You never saw it was happening. Now that's classic suspense. But later on when they just show like the little boy kind of – you saw a bit of the face and a, the little boy being dragged off the raft. If you happen to see it, because this is during this stampede onto the beach, it was just a tiny bit of it. And so it didn't look as real as it could. You're right. But they did mix in shark photography because I saw there mm. were shark photographer, live shark photography, uh, uh, cinematographers credited, mm. but yeah, yeah. they, um, because they couldn't get it working. That's the reason they used the barrels. Mm. You were supposed oh, to be seeing so a shark. Good. That was and way better. the barrels better. were <laughs> amazing. Yes. Because when those barrels are going out to sea and they're following it, it's playing all three of the people's themes all together because John Williams was amazing doing the music for this. And you're, tra-la, it's working, blah, blah, blah. And then they suddenly turn around and start coming back. And you're like, wait, what happened? <laughs> oh, bloody hell. Oh, oh man. no. Yeah. I don't care for this at all. <laughs> you know. And then when they're saying no shark can stay under with three barrels, well, oh, they just man. disappeared. Yeah. Are you enjoying it? <laughs> and oh, I think it, it was so um, effective, and and I love how you uh, know he set that up with that dock earlier. You know, yes. when the the guys are like throwing meat because <laughs> there was a reward for the shark. You know, if you catch a well, shark, you get three grand. So yeah. he's throwing the meat out there, and oh, uh, the shark pulls and the whole the thing off. These are the kind of drunk idiots you get yeah. on the oh, fourth for sure. weekend at the beach. <laughs> well, and then the thing of all the guys heading out in the boats, which were overloaded. And nobody noticed that the one boat hadn't come back. Mm. They're out there just on the trail of the shark at night, and they find a boat, and the captain or the sheriff says, oh, this is so-and-so's boat. Oh, Mm. man. You know? It's like, they're all gone, and nobody noticed. Right. Or reported it, or he wasn't there when they reported it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, But I think it's like Alfred Hitchcock movies. Mm. They're still scary. We know a lot of the tricks. Right. But the way they're presented, and um, Spielberg was, of course, familiar with Hitchcock, 
And I'm sure he was using a lot of those uh, techniques anyway. But when you don't have the shark, what that does is take you back to the thing that you were talking about is you're facing the unknown. And um, that's that's one thing that made me think of what you were thinking of, you know, what's happening when you've got a mayor type character who has his own reason for denying or even thinking something could be true that he doesn't want to think about. But then you have, um, what about if you're just talking about something that no one can see? Hmm. God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's a cool thing to think about, you know, because we're seeing the effects of the shark, not yes. the shark, right? And in the yes. world, we see the effects of God, but not God, right? The evidence is yeah. all out there for mm-hmm. this thing happening. But we're so focused on something else for whatever reason, good or bad. Yeah. I mean, the mayor is the villain because he's not thinking of human life. But he is actually trying to take care of the welfare of the people. He just doesn't want it. He's like, well, that could be anything. (laughs) He's not had to face the reality of what it really is. Yeah. What this means in human terms. And that's us. I mean, things that are um, spiritual of real faith are things that are so internal. There are signs that happen outside, but it's so easy to explain them away. Hmm. We see that all the time in our culture. And in fact, something is wrong with our culture. You know, we, again, we're talking about, you know, our legislature and mass shootings and all this stuff. All anybody's talking about is here are the two or three or four ways we can think of to fix it that are, necessary bandages to the wounds but what's causing it underneath what's the Mm. systemic problem yeah yeah there just seemed to be an illness right we can't see why is this suddenly happening Mm -hmm. you know these things happen in other places but not the way they're happening here with the frequency and just insanity um and so what has gone wrong with our culture yeah. That we're untethered. So we're yeah we're seeing an effect, but we don't see the shark. <laughs> don't you think? Nobody's looking. Yeah. Yeah. What's the shark? Yeah. And right. we have our expert, and we mm-hmm. have our guy who's gotten gritty, and we have all, and but we have then people like us going, but what's really happening? Yeah. Why is right. this happening? No one's answering that question, mm-hmm. or even considering the question should be looked at. Yeah. Yeah. We just want to get people back on the beach. I don't know. They don't like the answer, you know? Right. And so anyway, that's I looked at this, and you were, and that's why I was blown away when you went, oh, yeah, this is the people who won't say there's a problem, I'll reassign a priest. Mm-hmm. Or they won't say, here's what the problem is, let's, do, let's take this person out of circulation. Right, right. And um, But I was thinking of it just from the, there's the ineffable out there, right? It's like a big ocean. Abraham Heschel said this, he's this rabbi who wrote these amazing books. And he says, the ineffable, which is God, is a huge ocean out there. And all we can do is get our feet wet. (laughs) And the dry land, my priest took it further and said, yes, because we live on the dry land. Mm. We can only walk in the part that kind of where they meet. That's a lovely image. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, where they meet, you know, that's that's Jesus right there, <laughs> where they meet. Yeah, you know? he's walking on the beach with us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not going right. to talk about footprints in the sand, though. <laughs> oh, awesome, oh, awesome. Goodness. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, um, yeah, I just love it. I, I just uh, think these characters are cool. So, um, you know, as, as far as, like, a summer blockbuster goes, th- this this is interesting. So it was just, um, I'm not even sure when it came out exactly. but um, 1976, I, I mean, think? Uh, like, what month? It would it would have been a summer oh, movie. But, it was, oh, yeah. hold on. I've got the Wikipedia page Oh, yeah, okay. So yeah, it made it uh, what I'm looking at so here it was is June 20th, 1975. June so 20th. very close to so, now. Yeah, very close to now, yeah. So it made about 260 million at the time, which is a lot. <laughs> and now it has made 472, and it cost mm-hmm. nine. Yeah, isn't that something? And he was just yeah. a young, promising director, mm. and uh, John Williams was a promising composer but he hadn't yeah. done big stuff so this is what launched them I both love it. <laughs> that is so cool yeah really quickly let me just stop and refer you to a place that i'll put i'll put links to these two podcasts there is um the classic movie musts podcast which is really good and episode five i think was when they did an episode on jaws that's quite a good episode and talking a lot about things like the humanity and um, mm-hmm. the first part of the movie being the shark and the second part being the humanity and then um, the soundtrack show, which mm-hmm. is also a really great uh, podcast. And it's all about scores, or soundtrack, uh, so I think maybe even video games and stuff like that. And um, they have a two-parter specifically on Jaws and the music in Jaws. And then a preview one before that talks just about John Williams and Steven Spielberg's collaborations. This guy's a huge John Williams fan, so there's a preponderance of his music talked about there, but he's he's really good. Oh, so that's great. That's great. I listened to both those things before we did this. <laughs> so if you hear something familiar, probably I got some of it oh, there. I love it. I love it. That's cool. But that's great. the music stands in for the shark for most of the movie. Mm-hmm. When you can't see the shark, how do you know what's happening? And so a really interesting example of that is that the um, the big rampage for or the running in from the beach when they've had everybody watching, a shark fin has been seen. Everybody's sounding the alarm. People are practically trampling each other. And <laughs> with a lot of bad behavior being shown by people. <laughs> and... Um, it turns out it's some kids. Yeah. This is also classic, playing a prank. <laughs> yeah. But we never hear the shark music. Oh, yeah. yeah. We don't know it's a shark attack because there's no music. When you hear the music is when they suddenly, suddenly somebody's looking out past that pond and says, there's a shark in the pond. Then yes. you're starting to hear the music. <laughs> So we mm. can't see it, but it's that same thing as maybe Quint would sense something. Yeah, yeah. So it's a beautiful working together of all these things. Um, and then later, of course, everybody's got their own themes. And so the one for Quint has some sea shanties woven in. And sea shanties are actually a big part of telling his character. When he's listening to um, Hooper talk about some stuff and he's going to use the shark cage and this and that. He walks away and just starts singing my lady of Spain or something like that and singing about, I'll Mm -hmm. never see you again. So that shows what he thinks of him and his little shark cage, (laughs) you know? Um, But Mm -hmm. yeah. So, and 
And quick bit of trivia that when John Williams did the, you know, he came up with the theme and he has Steven Spielberg come over and he plays on the piano. And Steven Spielberg's laughing. He's like, no, really, what's the real theme? And he goes, oh, no, that's it. On a tuba, though, so it'll be better. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, I am the tuba. It'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> oh, and that was like, yeah, here we are in 2022. You know, that music is, you know, part of popular culture, I would say. It's um, so very known, you know. That's, a, that's amazing yeah. to think about. I just love that. Real quick before we get into the trivia, there were a couple more things I wanted to mention about the sheriff's character. One of the things that I love is this is first kind of a you're in the place of the town and it's kind of investigative and you're just seeing the sheriff's problems, really. And the second part, of course, is all shark and ocean and insanity. But um, they did take time for a couple of scenes that really show you the sheriff more and who he is and why we care about all this. And they're both scenes with his kids. And so the first one is he's very worried and upset. And the little boy has, I think the little boy, Adam has been killed and had the funeral and he's sitting at the table worried. And his littlest boy is sitting there next to him and he's mimicking his father. Mm. His father puts his head in his hands. And so does <laughs> the little boy. The father takes a drink of wine. Little boy takes a drink of his water. And eventually the father notices this. And he starts making faces at him, and the boy's making faces back. <laughs> and eventually he says, give me a kiss. The little boy says, why? And he goes, because I need it. <laughs> and it's, you know, comfort in his children. And then the second one, and this is a smaller bit, but his little boys and the, the older boys in the hospital with shock from having seen the shark attack and everything. And um, he says to his wife, I don't want him to be afraid of the water the way I am. Do you think he's, he won't get back in a boat? I don't want him to have that weakness like I do. He's he doesn't say it like that, but uh, yeah. And he's in the middle of all this. He's thinking about how he wants to do things better for his kid, and it made me think about the fact that he came out to this island where he hates the water, but he's letting his kid have the boat. You know, he would have let him be in the water if it wasn't for the shark. The things that he's afraid of, he'll try to hide from his kid so his kid can have a fuller, better experience than he did. And this is the father coming out, you know, and, mm -hmm. and this is the person who also is going to do his job and try to take care of the people because yeah. it's how he cares. Yep. I love that. That's a really, that's a really nice observation. Um, I was always, I always thought, you know, Spielberg, Spielberg was, um, th there's a lot of scenes in his movies, which are kind of like family chaos scenes. Yes. Where it's like, you know, they're having dinner and everybody's talking at the same time. Mm -hmm. Well, there's just so many examples of that in Spielberg. But uh, the, the closest example to this movie is his next one, which was um, Close Encounters. Building the building oh. the towers of potatoes, right? right that was that was right. just full of these scenes where there's just lots of talking all at the same time. And yeah. um, kids kind of a chaotic dinner scene and... Um, you know, I remember Richard Dreyfus building the the potato devil's tower while his mm -hmm. kids were all, you know, yelling and running around and, and doing that stuff. Well, E.T. 
in E.T. as well. also because yeah. it was from the kids' point of view, so it, there was a certain mm-hmm. amount of chaos because the kids weren't in control Right, of right, yeah. You know? Yeah, but in, yeah, and in E.T. you'll have that dinner or breakfast or whatever where they're, they're all talking at each other and there's, you know... Um, well, and I think Spielberg has a really good touch with kids and that kind of a scene because I think of uh, Jurassic Park. We just rewatched that recently, and when the two kids are introduced, there's a certain level of unpredictability. Yes. Because kids are unpredictable, and they add, even on a low level, chaos, you know. They just don't think the same, and so that yeah. makes me think of that, too. Oh, that's that's a that's a great point, uh, as a, a kid being a source of chaos in a story. Mm-hmm. I love that thought, because you're right. They, they may do something for a reason that we don't predict as adults, you know, um, just plain curiosity can get them in trouble. Um, whereas an adult should have learned at a certain point, (laughs) unless you're Hooper, unless you're Hooper, (laughs) then you jump in the water anyway in the big, in the big cage. Yeah. I guess he's kind of that element a little bit. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and there's chaos because the shark is creating that chaos. You're right. They think they can predict it. But they cannot predict what the shark is going to do. And they're trying to, they have to lock that chaos down and restore order. Right, right. So. And that is the thing about nature, like you were talking about, um, you know, the idea is that nature can be understood, that animals can be understood. And, um, but they can be chaotic for sure. You know, when they, when they don't act in a way that we should know, you know, like Hooper, well, both Hooper and Quint think that they understand the shark deeply. Um, and they're both surprised by it. And the shark is being a shark. And they call it a rogue shark. But for maybe sharks, that's understandable behavior from somebody. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You mentioned that because this was a blockbuster and it was the first blockbuster. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't realized that until way after the movie came out. And I, of course, no one did because there hadn't been <laughs> something like it before. It actually premiered about two blocks away from our house. Oh, I there love There was a that. movie theater that uh-huh. it premiered at. And for uh, some time after that, Steven Spielberg premiered all his movies there because oh. it was so lucky for him. Oh, that's cool. And I wish it was still a movie theater and not a Coles. But, oh, you know, no. life moves on. <laughs> but what they what they thought at the time was... Only children go to movies in the summer. I don't know why they thought this. I guess there's so much time off and they're going to go to the movies. So they mostly did family-friendly and kids' movies. And this one was coming out in June. And they went, oh, we're never going to get anyone to see it. So they took a huge marketing budget for the time and just did this blitz at adults. Hmm. And it showed the shark coming out of the water and everybody went to see it. Wow. Yeah. And that's when Steven Spielberg said, actually... um, it got everyone to see the movie, but it was his learning experience because it was supposed to be the huge scare of the movie. And what actually was the biggest scare of the movie was first mm-hmm. when uh, Hooper's down looking at the boat and that corpse comes floating out at him. Right, right. If you watched in the theaters, that was the biggest scream. And he said, I got greedy. <laughs> <laughs> he said, the first scare is always the biggest one. Everything after that is less. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. And it was so iconic as a horror movie that some people were going in to pitch a movie 
And they were told, you have to tell in one sentence, get their attention and tell the story of the movie. So they went in and said, this movie is like Jaws in space. <laughs> and that was the movie Alien. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so my husband calls this calls Jaws Alien on the Beach. Alien on the Beach. <laughs> I yeah. love it. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, and I have mm-hmm. I have here, this is an article from USA Today from I'm not sure when. It just has a list of blockbusters. Um, mm-hmm. And it says the one for the next summer was The Omen. <laughs> oh, so, my gosh. Yeah. And uh, they're calling that a blockbuster. It must have been just the highest grossing movie of that summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it only made $60 million. I, I wouldn't have thought that yeah. that would have been ridiculously popular. But it's interesting that it's another horror movie. And then yeah. um, the one after that is the big one, Star Wars. And, um, oh. you know, so that probably launched that type of movie right there. Mm-hmm. And then in 78, it was Grease. <laughs> and then in 79, another horror movie, the Amityville Horror. Oh. Which, again, is a surprising one to me. But that just means that they didn't have uh, something else in competition. But then... Yeah. In 1980, Empire Strikes Back. And then now we're in a constant flow. Right. So you have Empire Strikes Back, and then Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then mm. E.T., and then Return of the Jedi. And you know, we're in the 80s, you know, when I was growing up. All the biggies. Ghostbusters, wow. yeah. uh, Back to the Future, oh. Top Gun. And then in 87 is Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> Number two. <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yeah. Yeah. I liked the first one. Right. I can make the list, I guess. Yeah. That's and funny. Then, yeah, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, yes. And then Batman in 89 with uh, Michael Keaton. I liked that Batman. Yes, and then Ghost in 1990. I did yeah. not care for that movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't then give you my ratings there. along the way. Yeah, but, that's all yeah. right. You bet. But yeah, but uh, from then on, it's just a constant, you know. Yeah, they've learned flow. to you to market that. Yeah. Everyone goes to the movies in the summer. Right. Just not right. during the day always. Yeah. And now I think we get, I don't know, probably two or three every summer that um, could be the potential um, highest grossing movie of the, right. of, the, of the season. So They're always vying. Yeah. One last bit of trivia before okay. we end it. Mm-hmm. The Sharks models were all named Bruce. <laughs> that was the name of Steven Spielberg's lawyer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> No way. Yes. Do you remember in Finding Nemo, the shark was named Bruce, wasn't he? Yes. Yes. And yeah. I assume that was a tribute to Jaws as well as the fact that it just sounded right from an Australian. Yes. Like no, but it, how perfect is that? You know, I, oh I had no gosh. idea that connection. Yeah. That's too fun. Yeah. Oh, so I love that's it. all the trivia I have. I love finding those connections. So thank yeah. you. That's great. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> all right. Well, is there anything else you'd like to say about Jaws? No, I'm gonna let that go for a movie that I put at three stars. I might have to be three and a half. I'm not moving it up to four. Not quite four. I love it. But it did make me think I might inflict it on the um, the senior community. Well, it'll be fun. You know, they'll they'll get to see the beach. You know, from long ago. Exactly. I know you guys can't make it to the beach, Uh but. But here's the beach. <laughs> oh my yes. gosh. Yeah, I love it. Oh, I think I'm yeah. going to have to change my next movie. I was going to do Goldfinger, but mm, uh-huh. yeah. Here we go. <laughs> too fun. Too fun. Yep. Oh, I love it. Well, thanks for watching it with me. And it's it was fun to, to talk about uh, 
uh, just blockbusters in general. Um, mm-hmm. I've always enjoyed them. Um, you know, they're they're not always deep, but there's there's usually uh, some great movies that are in the summer. They're just a lot of fun. Well, and I think what you can say is there are iconic types of stories. We all recognize them, and any good story, even however simply told, like a blockbuster, is going to have those elements because if it's just not anchored by a good story, yeah, it won't work. And a simply told good story is still good. So, yep, the best of them do have this. That's for sure. Right. You know, and I think that the ones that fail, the ones that they expect to be a blockbuster, mm-hmm. it's it's missing a story. There's something wrong with it. The story, right. because yeah, the ones that have a good story, they just go through the roof. You know. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. People respond to story as they we do. Know, they so. do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. More than just the fighting and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) The destruction of New York. How many times has New York been destroyed? (laughs) Several times, yeah. Yes, not enough, probably. (laughs) We need more of those stories. Oh, that's too fun. Too fun. Okay. Well, all right. Well, coming up for us next is uh, Lonesome Dove, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Um, That novel by Larry McMurtry in a couple of weeks. Another type. Of iconic American story, the Western. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So looking forward to that. Yeah, All me right. too. I'm about halfway through and um Very good. Very it good. It is uh it's iconic. <laughs> For sure. In For a lot sure. of ways. <laughs> In a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> love it, love it. All right. Well, thanks again everybody for listening. Yes. And uh yeah. we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.